This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome and thanks for listening. This is the Total Saints podcast, episode six, going to the heart of all things Saints. My name's Ben Stanfield, at Ben and Stanners from Twitter. Well, they say a week in football is a long time. No idea who they are, but they're certainly right. Just ask Ronald Koeman. He's been on the uh, the end of a 10-0 smashing this week, so um, certainly uh, a long week for him. But uh, in terms of us and Saints, it's been nice to have that winning feeling back again. I think certainly looking a lot more positive than last weekend when I spoke to Chris after the Watford game. A Saints win, a goal, some really committed performances, I thought at um, Palace a couple of fantastic Forster saves and also he's finally back with us admittedly there were a few jeers when he was spotted on the uh, the sidelines but mainly it was cheers and ultimately we know Saints are in uh, a much better position when he's involved I'm not talking about Virgil van Dijk it's Adam Leach he's back with us Adam how are you and how was your break yeah cracking thanks Ben it was really really good I had a, had a good time and went away I had a couple of weeks away which is much needed after uh, every I worked through the summer and, and all the transfer stuff it was great to just have a bit of a break and refresh and it you know you always feel like you come back with a bit more perspective on things as well which is pretty nice totally and I, I'm, I'm only joking obviously I'm sure there weren't any jeers if, if there were it was probably Simon Peach uh, along from you there but, uh, he, um, was there. Yeah, he was there yeah, 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 yeah he did give me some abuse yeah, yeah. well there you go then that's fine but uh, no obviously it was good to see Virgil van Dijk yesterday and um, we're going to talk this week about the Crystal Palace victory. Obviously, nice to, to be uh, positive and, and have something constructive to talk about. We're going to look towards next week's tough-looking fixture against Manchester United. And if that isn't enough, we're also going to carry out another Ask Adam in this episode. So just so Adam's not let off too lightly on his return from holiday. So let's kick off. We're going to start with our news, reviews and preview section. Thank you. 
Crystal Palace then, Adam, a much better performance, I thought, from everyone involved. I, I know you uh, were, were lucky and had the pleasure of missing the Watford game last week, which I think uh, was probably a blessing for, for you. Chris and I spoke about it. I think quite a few people agreed that the manager probably needed to change a few things, and they certainly paid off for him yesterday. Um, Yoshida back in for Stevens was a, a sensible move, looking at the, the fact that um, Yoshida had been player of the month for August, and uh, obviously with Benteke's aerial ability. So I think that was certainly a, a shrewd move by him. Fast becoming a fan's favourite, I think Mario Lamina, it was good to see him back into the central defensive position after international duty last week, playing alongside Romeo. We had Steve Davis, who we'll go on to talk about a bit in a, in a minute, who was pushed further forward and uh, suited him in terms of his attacking prowess. And finally, Shane Long was brought in up top to replace Gabbiadini. Again, probably a sensible move in terms of confidence. In, in, in summary, we have more possession, we have more shots on target more corners and I, I appreciate Palace were fairly poor but you still have to, to beat what's in front of you in, in terms of you having not seen the Watford game so just taking it on face value then Adam was it was it a fairly encouraging performance yeah I thought so to be honest I, I was a bit <laughs> unsure what I was gonna see when I came back while I was away I listened to the podcast last week with Chris and had read some stuff as well and I'd spoken to other people who were at the game and, and other journalists yesterday before the game and yeah, I, obviously I thought, my goodness me, what, what has happened? There's a lot of people questioning commitment and heart and desire and passion. And for all the problems Saints have had, particularly in front of goal, I must admit one thing I've never really felt like I've levelled at, at, at the squad collectively is a lack of desire or, or lack of just trying. So I thought, oh, blimey, what is what has happened? <laughs> well, I've been, well, I've been away for a week or so. What happened while they were all international duty? So I, I thought, well, blimey, you know, you had that feeling of Palace are obviously absolutely dreadful, but new manager coming in, you thought, oh, crowd's going to be behind them. This might be a difficult afternoon if it's like that. Not a bit of it. I mean, Saints were 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 comfortably better. There was a lot of commitment from my point of view. I thought there there was a lot of strong performances, and even those who weren't absolutely the top of their game were were giving it their all. That was quite obvious. So it was a well well deserved victory. I mean, I suppose if you wanted to try and find a negative, you probably would say that against a fairly weak team who defensively were were an absolute shambles in Palace, the Saints didn't really create very much. And had it not been for Fraser Forster, who made two good saves, but was was certainly helped out in those occasions by two very poor finishes, then who knows? But ultimately, as you said, you can only beat what's in front of you. And, and I thought it was a committed display um, and a few outstanding performers as well. And a well-deserved three points and, and timely too, uh, just because in the context of the season after the Watford defeat with Man United coming up you wouldn't really have wanted to have come away from Palace with a with another defeat because that would have really have meant that you would have felt going into United that Saints needed something from that game you don't want to play a big team feeling you need to get something you want to be feeling that you can play a bit freely and it's almost a bit of a free game if you get anything brilliant that's absolutely great if you lose well okay so be it most people are going to lose to that team this year so so yeah important win and, and Maurizio said as much afterwards in the context of the season that was that was important that was important for him as well Steve Davis captain obviously he played his 200th game for for Saints um £800,000 Nicola Cortese managed to negotiate with Rangers to to get him uh, out of the contract wrangle between the old Rangers and the the new co obviously a goal to celebrate the winner 
even more sweeter, I thought, because it pretty much went through Joel Ward, ex-Portsmouth players, legs and, and into the far corner. Chris and, and I were talking about him last week as one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. Just just how important has he been to Saints over that four or five years since he signed, Adam? Well, he's he's been vital. To me, I, I said a little while ago that I know we talk in terms of player of the season, but if you had player of the last three or four seasons type award, then virtually Stephen Davis would be the absolute number one contender. He would win it hands down because he's been that consistent over a prolonged period of time for Saints. He's absolutely vital. I mean, I've been a huge supporter of his for for a very long time. wasn't necessarily a particularly popular view at times, especially early on, but I think most people have come around to realising how uh, vital he is. And I do get a little bit wound up when I, I'm always banging the drum for him playing in, in the position he did yesterday in that kind of number 10 role. I, I say kind of number 10 because the way he plays it is not like, for example, a Messi would play a number 10 role. But, you know, he does it in his own way. And he adds so much to the team. He's got much more creativity than people give him credit for. Yes, he probably doesn't score quite as many goals as you'd like for somebody in that position. But ultimately... If you're Saints, you can only pick from the options that you have. And for me, he is the best player in that position. I appreciate that when people want to see a number 10, they like to think of some mercurial talent, uh, somebody that's producing these incredible things out of nothing. And, And that's not Steve Davis. Steve Davis is Mr. Dependable, Mr. Consistent, with more creativity than people give him credit for. But that's not his strength. And I appreciate it's not exciting and it's not uh, one of those people that is going to get you off your seats when they get the ball at their feet. He's not Matt, Matt Letizia or somebody like that. But actually, he's really, really effective. And Saints are at their best normally when he is in that position. And it's a testament to him that they've actually spent, what, 16-odd million pounds in bringing in Buffal, really specifically to play that role, to play the number 10, to be the mercurial talent. And, and he can barely get a kick because... Stephen Davis is rightly, in my view, playing in that position. He's been absolutely fantastic. He's a great professional as well. Everybody, all his teammates say that about him. Real hard worker. Um, The total antithesis of what people stereotypically think of as being a Premier League footballer. He's not flash. He's not uh, outrageous in any way. He's just a a normal guy who tries to do his best every day he goes into work. And um, he happens to be a professional footballer you know and he's he's just a he's just a good good egg basically and one of those people you're very happy to see succeed totally agree and a nice goal as well in terms of a good passing move must have been what 20 25 passes i think i was surprised to see that it was his first goal since scoring against crystal palace in the last home game of the season before last so he obviously didn't score all last season which i was surprised when i read that because for some reason i automatically think he always bags four or five a season i mean is, is nobody that... scored last season <laughs> well that's, that's very true um, chris and i spoke last week about pushing him more forward that's where he's in a better position i think you, you've obviously just advocated that but he's only going to be able to score goals if he is attacking thirds isn't he so i guess that sort of testament hopefully to the manager pushing him forward as well in my view, I think you're absolutely spot on. He, he he needs to play more advanced. The defensive midfield roles, as they are, obviously uh, look filled by Romeo and Lamina first up, and uh, they're a good pairing by the looks of it. And in early days, and Lamina was exceptional at Crystal Palace. Stephen Davis, 
Therefore, you need to get him in the team, in my view. That He's one of your best players. You can't leave him out. And there is another natural position for him to play. And as I say, I, I honestly believe that of the options they have there, he is absolutely the best. And actually, Talic, for my money, played so much better yesterday alongside Davis playing out on the, on the right. I mean, he really was much more influential. And you get a lot of work rate from Stephen Davis as well, which is another thing. You know, he, he really does does run himself into the ground for the team in that role. A lot of pressing from the front. I know that's why Pellegrino wanted to play long uh, up top. Instead of Gabby Adini, you've got that that real press from the front with Shane Long because of his energy and his work rate. And Stephen Davis kind of doubles that up, really. Um, against a nervy team, a nervy backline like Palace, who probably are just going to want to then whack the ball long to Benteke, which is really going to suit Saints to mop things up at the back as long as they're winning the second balls, then actually Stephen Davis in that role, absolutely ideal for me. Mario Lamina, it's early days for him in terms of playing for Saints in a Saints career. Certainly started well, I think, looks a heck of a player. He got man of the match from Sky yesterday for the game. And when you when you look at some of the money that has been spent in this transfer window, £18 million for a, a player that played in last season's Champions League final, I've got to be honest, I didn't know anything really about him before he joined Saints, but... The more you watch him, you look at his power, his pace, his heading ability, his passing, his tackling, his strength. I mean, he looks a complete midfielder to me. So in terms of the board, blowing the dust off the black box and finding these sort of gems, what did you make of his performance in terms of what he brought to the team? I, I would agree with Sky. I had him down as man of the match yesterday as well. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Real power, that kind of powerhouse that, that like Victor Wanyama offers, real physical force in the heart of the midfield. Uh, allows Romeo to do a bit more of a of the kind of tidying up, if you like, which I think he's uh, very, very good at. A more understated role for Romeo in a way, uh, which which I think is actually not a, too bad a thing for, for him. They're just starting out as a pairing, obviously, but that's kind of how it is at the moment. Lamina's just like physically as well. A lot of footballers, it's quite weird with footballers because uh, I think you sort of see them on... TV and you see them on the pitch and you kind of get a full sense of what their their physical stature is and then when obviously because I, I see them all the time you you meet them up close you could sometimes think well actually they're not they're quite underwhelming in their size if that makes sense uh, and they're quite scrawny and things like that that's just the nature of what uh, what they're obviously building their bodies to be like at the football clubs but Lamina is an absolute beast really I mean he is physically an imposing person he's a big guy he certainly would would make you think twice about jumping into a tackle with him that's for sure a little bit of a strong arm in the centre of midfield it's a good thing and, and he did brilliantly yesterday picking out so many plays when Palace just tried to get in between the lines so many second balls when they were obviously pumping it up to Ben Teke and it's getting knocked knocked down uh, in the challenge by him or, or a defender just always on hand to mop up in those areas which is Good. And I think he's not he's not got a good great goal scoring record, but he also looks like he's not afraid to have a shot and to and to move a bit further forward as well, which is which is a good thing. Early days, but it does look like a, a decent signing at the moment. We'll we'll obviously wait and see. It's a bit it's a bit early to really tell for sure. Hopefully he's one that comes off. I mean there's been probably a few you would have to say, in all fairness, recently that they've spent a bit of money on that, that really haven't come off for them. Having had such a great record prior to that, they've sort of got a bit more of a mixed record at the moment. So 
it would be good if, if this one did come off for them. Uwe Rossler, that's the one I always remember, Adam. I'm, I remember seeing him play at St Mary's and thinking, crikey, he looks so much bigger in real life than he did on telly. So that's the one that will always stick with me, Uwe Rossler. But there we go. Uwe so, Rossler. Yeah, so in, in terms of Lamina, just to finish on him, it reminded me, I know it's early days, I don't want to get carried away, it reminded me of the Wanyama-Schneidlin midfield combination we had. Romeo in there, breaking up the play, doing what he does, acting as the Wanyama Lamina being able to get the ball, bring it away, pass it, that sort of thing. Sort of last season, our spine of our team was, you know, other than maybe Virgil, was pretty inconsistent in terms of delivering what it needed to do. So I guess that that part of the midfield is really crucial to the way that we're going to play. So having a a Wanyama Snydlin type in there again, hopefully reap the rewards over the coming months, years, whatever. Well, I think so. I mean, I I don't I don't sense that. There's going to be any real desire, certainly imminently, to change the formation. I think 4-2-3-1 is, is going to be the stock formation. And so therefore, if you've got the two, then you want a pairing. It's not about having one good player in there or having two players that can't, who might be very good, but can't really work together. You, the Saints really need to build a partnership in there. Of course, it can get disrupted, injury suspensions, we all know that. But even so, you, you want a pairing. And, and I think... Uh, as I said, it's a different role for Romelu now compared to what he was playing last year when he was often you know, sat sat deep, really, on his own, in effect. Uh, even when they played 4-2-3-1, he was very much the anchor man. Whereas now, you kind of got a bit of a, a balance there. And, and Romelu is destructive, but he's also quite good on the ball. His distribution is quite good as well. Um, he's surprisingly quick, which people don't give him credit for as well, across the ground. And yeah, I think early days, very early days, but the makings of a, of a good pairing in there, and, and Saints are going to need that. I completely agree with your point about the spine of the team, and, and we all know, anybody who's played football knows that it's the most important aspect of the team is the spine, getting that right. And yeah, I mean, I think in that respect, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it in the coming weeks, but obviously who the, the first-choice centre-half pairing is going to be when everybody's fully fit and available is going to be absolutely fascinating as well. But the pairings uh, are sort of almost more important than the two individuals, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. The, the only downside, I thought, of Lamina's uh, performance yesterday was that Phil Neville was actively trying to sell him on uh, Match of the Day already last night. But there, there we go. That's, uh, that, it won't be the last time that we get that this season, I'm sure. Um, look, there was a couple of other people I just wanted to touch on just uh, to sort of finish on Palace. Fraser Forster, I know you mentioned it top of the pod there. Um he, he does get a lot of criticism. I think some of it's quite often justified. I, as a goalkeeper myself, far from professional, but I think in terms of being six foot, whatever he is, and not off his line to clean crosses and talk to his defence a lot and things like that, I think there's a lot of his game that he can work on. But in, in terms of particularly that second save from Punch and yesterday, I mean, they, you know, a bit like West Brom away last season, they are saves that win you matches, that win you three points, that at the end of the season you look back on and think, look, we could have lost that game 2-1 somehow yesterday. I think we've always thought he's a pretty good shot stopper, but is it, is it just confidence with him? Because on his day, like yesterday, I mean, he, he can be a really good goalkeeper and he can be a real asset to that team. And then you see other other days where, you know, balls seem to fly past him left, right and centre, really. So, you know, is, is there more to the sort of pseudo around Fraser Forster than, than, than maybe is obvious? I mean, let's not forget that when he came in, he was doing exceptionally well for Saints. I, I, don't, I don't think anybody... Any neutral observer could turn around and say that he hasn't had a bit of a dip in form over over a little period of time because that, that's that is patently obvious that that is true. Now, I mean, you were a goalkeeper. You probably know better than me about goalkeeping, but I, I know it's very it is a very confidence driven thing. It's a it's a position whereby you've obviously 
in every other position, you kind of just are always acting on your instinct because it's non-stop. As well as in goal, you've got a lot of time to stand still and, and to think about things, to think about what you should have done, perhaps. And actually, shot-stopping, in a way, is it's the headline-grabbing bit, but it's the easy bit because that's the instinctive bit. That's the bit that you can just... The ball comes, bang, I stick my arm out, the ball's coming, I dive. The harder bit is perhaps the bits like that you that are really in your head that you've got a bit of time to think about the ball coming across, uh, your distribution, how you're dealing with your back four. There's a lot of time to think about these these things when you're a lot more time anyway. It's a lot less uh, just a pure instinct. So I think that there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes with with goalkeepers than people give it credit for. It's not just a goalkeeping coach just pumping a ball at a goalkeeper all day long and just catching it. There's a lot of talk about the psychology of goalkeeping and I know there's a lot of uh, goalkeeping coaches who go very deep into into things like that and also trying to make decisions, help them make decisions as managers perhaps even deliberately say, we don't want you to come off your line. We're trying to defend in a certain way that, yes, you come for a ball that's easy to claim, but if there's any doubt that you're going to get there, we actually want you to stay that's, that is an instruction that I know that some managers will give goalkeepers. It's not just go out there and kind of pat on the bum and, yeah, go on then, do your best. It's obviously, they're working all week on on what they're going to do and their tactics. And the goalkeeper is as much a part of the team, uh, just because he's got gloves on, as, as the centre-half or the centre-forward is. Fraser Forster is absolutely the undisputed number one in the Saints. And that's not going to change anytime soon, I don't think. I can't see he's got any competition, really, of there for, for his place uh, Pellegrino has backed him publicly already this season he's uh, made it very clear that, that he's the number one and they plan to stick with him 100% um, I think that uh, though he's had a tip in form I must admit I, I said it on here uh, one of the very first podcasts I actually felt a bit sorry for him I felt like he was perhaps beginning to become a little bit of a scapegoat amongst uh, a section of the fans and somewhat unfairly because he, he's not he's had a dip in form but he's not been absolutely dreadful every game he's gone out and he's I think I think he actually needs a bit of support and I, you know I'm pleased that we're talking about him this week and we can actually turn around and say yeah well done good performance and it wasn't just the two saves he was very strong all around yesterday um, he had a very very good game and so yeah hopefully this is this is the start of, of him rebuilding a bit of confidence. It's definitely a cold, dark, lonely world, I think, being a goalkeeper. I, I speak from my own uh, experience. You mentioned there about things that remind you of things you should do. I can certainly think of a few Wessex pitches that uh, will uh, remind me of things that I probably should have done during my career. <laughs> but there, there we go. But uh, we, we all move on. Yeah, it was good to see him play well, and I thought he did well. And obviously that, that save, particularly from punching, I thought was a brilliant save. And you could see him punch the goalpost in, in sort of celebration himself. I think he was pleased. So, yeah, good. And, and you know, hopefully going back to the spine conversation, the... Uh, confidence will start to flow with him a bit more as well and just just finally on the Palace game then what one player that we've spoken about a fair bit over the last few weeks in terms of not really getting an opportunity did get an opportunity yesterday um, Shane Long technically he's not the greatest footballer but the one thing you know a bit like Brett Ormerod when he played for Saints in the day is that he will run and run and run and run and never stop and hassles and chases and I saw Jamie Redknapp say that probably the, the Crystal Palace defenders would have been expecting to see Gabbiadini on the team sheet knowing what to expect. Suddenly they get Shane Long and they think, crikey, he's going to give us something a bit different to, to deal with. I think that's probably fair, isn't it? But in, in, in terms of him, I mean, he looked full of energy. He looked like someone that was keen to get out there and make a point. Didn't really have too many goal-scoring chances, but he didn't let them rest at all. 
No, and that, and that's exactly why he was in the team. I mean, he was in the team as as I mentioned earlier to to really press Palace at the back to kind of almost ensure that that they were that they were probably going to end up going very very direct because I think Saints were well set up to defend Ben Teke as a single striker up top, uh, and I think Saints were quite were going to were quite confident that they would defend him. And obviously, having long pressing you as a as a defender, you you're he'd be a nightmare to play against, wouldn't he? Really, because he'd just be he's like a a fly that won't go away. He's just like constantly buzzing around you. He doesn't ever stop. Uh, you can put the ball in the channels to him as well, and he'll run it into the channels, which is something that they don't really have with anybody else who's up there. Uh, I I was pleased to see him get a chance, to be honest. I, I think he he's another one that uh, I would say is a good pro. He keeps his head down. He's a nice guy. He works very hard all the time. He's not a great whinger or a moaner or anything like that behind the scenes. He just kind of gets on with it. And... It was good to see him being actually given a chance rather than just keep on sort of flogging the same players and the same the same way of playing all the time. Why not? We know, other than the half a season where he, he's banged a few in, over his career, we know he's not the most prolific striker. We know that. So you can't it, you can't expect him to suddenly come in and, and, and hit uh, a huge run of goal scoring form. But he gives you something else. He gives you another option up there. And something very, very different, again, to what else they've got. And, yeah, he's not going to play every game. He's not going to be a regular playing every single week. But away from home, against a team like Palace, fair play to Pellegrino. It was a great call. And Shane Long did exactly what was asked of him. And just on Crystal Palace then, Adam, obviously you were away when the um, sacking of Frank De Boer happened and uh, Roy Hodgson was appointed. There's been sort of widespread scrutiny about it, a bit like when Saints sacked Atkins and sort of brought Pochettino in, obviously for whatever reasons. But in, in terms of that decision, surprise, disappointed, is it? Is it just sort of modern football? Well, it doesn't exactly scream joined up thinking, does it, to go for a, a very continental manager, you know, in every respect, really. Of, of their word to then go really old school after four or five games of the season I loved Pellegrino's quote that he, he gave Adam Blackmore of Radio Sona the weekend if you start going to the gym if you've gone twice and you look in the mirror then you probably don't look any different but if you keep going for six months and you look in the mirror maybe you look a bit different and I, I mean I thought that was a really uh, interesting way of, of putting yeah, it and Adam's a man that would know because he's obviously done a lot of work in the gym so yeah he has he has he's not big Adam sport anymore that's for sure yeah, so yeah, Maurizio I think hit the nail on the head really with that and but that's a lot of a manager these days. You know what it's like. You know that staying in the Premier League is absolutely the be all and end all because of the money involved and people panic, basically. They panic. I mean, it's as simple as that, really. And obviously, Les Reed will be pleased because it's uh, taken away his record of the um, least time spent in a Premier League managerial role. So Les is now second on the list, so he'll be pleased as well. But in, in terms of Saints, yeah, look, good good win, obviously. Um, important three points and uh, something positive to now hopefully build on. We'll, we'll go on to talk about Manchester United later on, but before that, we're going to do our next Ask Adam. So this is our Ask Adam section where people listening get a chance to uh, send in questions and ask Adam anything that they want to about his experience, his career, watching Saints, Saints themselves. Um, so we've had a, a few in this week, so thanks for, for sending them in. The first one that uh, we're going to ask Adam is um, from Mark Bradford 25. 
It's been quoted that the players believe our current coach's methods mirror that of Maurizio Pochettino. What are your thoughts of that from close up? Well, yeah, absolutely spot on. Obviously, a few players have been quoted uh, as saying that they think he's, um, who played under both at Saints, have uh, been quoted as saying that they think he's fairly similar. I think they have a fairly similar philosophy, all things considered. Uh, um, they have a fairly similar personalities. I mean, Pochettino was probably a bit more outgoing. I, almost, I think gregarious is almost a word. He's sort of a larger-than-life character, Pochettino. He's one of those kind of, he was a real arm around the shoulder and slap on the bum and, you know, sort of real, real in there. I mean, the players loved Pochettino. They absolutely loved him. He was, he really kind of had a way of, about him, of, of motivating people and getting the best out of them. And uh, we, we even saw it in, in, uh, in our little world of the media as well. I mean, it was very unusual. He was, uh, he was a big one before the press conferences. He'd come round and he'd sort of, one from the people he knew, he'd give you a high five, oh. or some days he'd give you a hug. Or it'd be, I really hoped, it'd I really be, hoped you were going to say he patted you on the bum. Uh, I pr- he probably did at some point. I mean, I don't, I don't remember it. Maybe, it did. maybe it did. But it, don't, don't get me wrong, we had a we had a few spiky moments as well because uh, he was that kind of guy. He enjoyed the sparring. I think of the um, press conference scenario as well, and, and yeah, it was great. I, I I enjoyed that as well with him. He was he was good. I really like him, and uh, he's a nice man as well. And he's one of those um, managers. Uh, obviously, I see I get to see so much of the manager. You do get to know them and and hopefully like them in most cases. And yeah, I still see him. At, at, Obviously, when Saints play Tottenham now, and he, he never fails him and, and Jesus' his, uh, assistant, who's also a great guy, they always come over and make a point of, of saying hello and, and asking how you're getting on and things. That's sort of a measure of what he was like. And with the players, they really bought into the fact that he's kind of... Most managers are kind of like they are... They seem publicly they are with the press. It's kind of normally how they are with the players as well. And, and he was very much like that, very hands-on and, and engendered a good spirit. And there was an awful lot of, of that was part of the reason, I think, that he was so successful. He was able to obviously get them playing a very high press, a very high tempo. It, it required an awful lot of hard work and dedication from the team. But he got that out of them kind of by his motivation. Pellegrino is a slightly more understated character than, than Pochettino, who is obviously, as I explained, so outgoing. But I think his training methods, from, from what I hear, are actually fairly similar. I think in time, he'd probably like to get Saints playing a little more like Pochettino did. But I think he's very much of the mind that with the squad he's got at the moment, he needs to take baby steps towards it. I don't think he wants to just come in and tear everything up and try and, and rebuild everything. So I think it's more of a slow process. But from, from close up, I think that they are definitely their own men. There's definitely uh, a lot of differences, but you can clearly see a few similarities. He's certainly similarly aligned, I think, to Pochettino, especially in his long-term vision for Saints, than of the previous two managers, Koeman and Puel. It was interesting today that I saw Alaves had uh, sacked their manager after four games, four defeats and no goals. So it's interesting uh, as well that uh, obviously Pellegrino is doing uh, better with Saints than Alaves have done since he's left. Thanks for the question, Mark. And uh, Adam, thanks for your answer on that one.
No worries. Thanks for the question as well, Mark. The second question comes from Charlie Hawkins at CharlieHawk93. Charlie's fast becoming a friend of the show here, so that's good. Um, he says, does Hoiberg have a future at Saints? So talented, but think Pellegrino would play Davis or JWP before him in centre midfield if Romeo or Lamina were unfit. I saw some comments from Pellegrino maybe over the last 24, 48 hours saying that he did still have a future, Adam. I'm not trying to answer the question for you, but I know that there's been some some sort of conversation about Hoiberg in the press from Pellegrino. Is that right? To answer the question is that they obviously decided they had, quite rightly, one too many players for that position. So really, they had a choice. They either got rid of Jordi Classy or they got rid of Hoiberg. Now, the fact that they got rid of Classy is absolute evidence that obviously they still see Hoiberg as being involved. He's still young. He's still a player that, that I think there's a determination at Saints from upon high as well to try and make it work with, with Hoiberg. There is probably a feeling that, that though last year wasn't exactly what he or the club probably would have hoped for from his point of view, he's a young player. He's over in the Premier League for the first time. He's settling down. Um, it doesn't happen instantly all the time. And he deserves a bit more time and some more chances. The difficulty is going to be how do you get him those chances because Romeo and Lamino are clearly going to be, in my view, the first choice pairing. And it's one of the reasons that I felt that getting knocked out of the League Cup so early was really, really bad news for Saints this season because, as we've discussed, they have built this squad of two players for every position, no matter what people think of the quality of the two options. Hoiberg is obviously one of those that will probably suffer as a result because he's probably not going to get as many games as he would. I guess time will tell. Time will tell whether whether he gets in if Lamina or Romeo are injured. If Stephen Davis really makes that more advanced position his own, then I think that that, that would potentially open up the door for Hoiberg. James Will Prowse can play in there. Yeah, but I, I don't see that really as his natural position um, I, I think the Saints view him as a, as a player to play a bit further forward than that so I can't guarantee that, that he would be next in if there was uh, an injury but I think he's got a shout and I guess it depends what else is going on as to what he would do with, with Stephen Davis, I think Stephen Davis would naturally be probably the third choice but as I said if he's doing well further up then then great I don't, I don't foresee without I, I'm loath to say he won't get a chance because I didn't wouldn't have thought this time last year that Jack Stevens would have done when Fonte and uh, Van Dyke were playing together. But obviously a whole heap of things conspired and he got his chance. So you never know. The fact, very fact, as I said, that they kept him when obviously they were looking to move on somebody in that position proves that they at least want to try and make it work. So I guess we'll wait and see. But I, I, I think he, I think certainly, I don't foresee him. Uh, moving on this season, I think they will we'll see how things are, are go this season before they make any rash decisions on a player who is very young and didn't really join all that long ago in, in the grand scheme of things. Great, thanks Charlie. And the, the last question is from at 1885 the Art of. I think it's a good question actually. The likes of Swansea and West Ham have fairly recently got to be sort of best of the rest in Europe, etc, etc then fell away quite badly. How do we make sure that that doesn't happen to us? Wow, that is a big question. And while I was away, I thought I'm determined when I come back to try and keep my answers a bit shorter and not waffle on. And this seems like one that I could probably waffle on about for ages. So I'll do my best to keep it succinct. 
I think it's very difficult. I mean, you could. The, I don't think Saints are falling away badly, but of course they finished sixth, uh, seventh, eighth the last few years. Are they in the process of falling away at all now? I mean, take take your pick on that. Obviously not in Europe now, having been in Europe in one form or another the last couple of years. I think the, the good thing about Saints, I've got to say, I think one thing in their favour is that, and we hope that this continues with the new takeover, though obviously we don't know for sure what will happen, is that they are quite stable behind the scenes. And I think that's that's a good thing. For all the sometimes negativity or frustration towards, oh, Les Reed should be doing this, or oh, why haven't we got this money coming in? Actually, Saints do run the club incredibly sensibly. It does mean that when they're signing players and things like that, that, that they are sort of taking gambles to a certain extent because they're not buying absolute proven quality because they're not paying those prices. A bit like we said with Lamina, you may show that dust off the black box and you know 18 million looks looks like a a good find. It does, but then they're also going to sign players in in that kind of mould at that price tag that aren't going to come off just because that's the way the market is. You need to pay double to get proven quality, and I think that that Saints though they because they're balancing the books, because they're very stable and they're very methodical, it's not hugely, again, it's one of these things where you say it's not hugely exciting or glamorous to be like that, but I think it stands them in, in better stead to try and, and weather any potential problems and to avoid this, this sort of horrific falling away other than clubs that maybe may make decisions a little bit more impulsively than, than Saints would. Does that perhaps limit a bit of potential? I guess potentially it could do, but I think it also, without question, minimises the the amount of poor decisions you're going to make and the amount of things that you're going to get wrong. And that's really the key to it. They are in a position where, at this point in time, they are going to continue to try and fight to be the best of the rest. And you look at them this season, and there's been a lot of people moaning about it this season but really where are they they're still in those mid-table upper mid-table positions early days of course but that's where they are and really that's probably as as we predict the start of the season realistically where they're going to finish so that is steady stable management and decision making i think that really that is the number one thing I think they've got in their favour. That's great. Thanks, Adam. And thanks again, as I say, for all of the questions. We'll be doing another Ask Adam in a a few weeks' time. Now we're going to finish our news, reviews and previews section with the Manchester United game. So the Manchester United game then, Adam, obviously playing them at home next weekend. Tough looking game. They're obviously flying at the moment. Quality squad, I think we all agree. They've made some good signings and Mourinho seems to be getting the, the, the best from them. Looking at United, as I say, quality all over the pitch. We, we obviously gave them a pretty good game in the, the cup final last season. But in terms of danger men that we should be looking out for, is it is it just Romelu Lukaku or is there, there more, you know, more to them than just him? Well, I think there's more to them than just him. I mean, they they look to me, from what I've seen of them this season, to be a massively improved team on what they were last year. Um, they should be, obviously, they're spending big money, but they, they look a more coherent unit. They look like more of a team in terms of actually the way that Mourinho set them out. They've actually got players who look like that they, they belong in the positions they're playing, unlike the last few years with United, where they seem to have accumulated all these players and then they've desperately attempted to somehow fit them out 
into a team on the pitch. They actually look like they've got a style of play now. They've actually got a game plan that they're working towards. I think that makes them overall very dangerous. And then when you've got Lukaku up front, you've got really a great focal point, haven't you? And a fantastic goal scorer. I think I'm really looking forward to seeing them next weekend. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And it's great to have Man United coming to town for a three o'clock Saturday game rather than it being uh, one of these televised matches at uh, some bizarre time like last season's horrific uh, opening away game on a Friday night at Manchester United, which uh, I know many fans will have experienced exactly the same as we did and spent about eight hours on the M6 trying to get there. So yeah, it'll be be really exciting afternoon, I think, next week. as I said before, I really feel that Saints of that win is, is a is a big boost for them because it gives them a real chance to have a go at United under no real pressure. If United come and they turn them over, as long as it's not embarrassing, then okay, fine. United are really really good. They're going to beat most teams this year. That's just the way it's going to be. They, they might well win the title. If not, they're going to go very very close. So no shame in getting beaten by Man United, but. Now Saints have got that, that other win. They can actually really just, just have a go at this match. And if they get a point, or you know even better, then what a, what a massive extra bonus. And if they don't, well, so be it. I think with that in mind, it's going to be a really exciting afternoon. It's certainly one that I'm looking forward to. And I'm looking forward to seeing the likes of Lukaku. I also think, obviously, Matic is, is a great signing for United. Mata... I think he looks a lot better this season as well, and obviously he's very influential for them. They've just got they've got a strong team, haven't they? One to eleven, and and a pretty good bench. It's going to be a hard game for Saints, but I don't know what you think, but I've been impressed by them obviously this year, and and just how much more coherent it is this yep, year. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think they look they look strong in all departments, don't they? Certainly. I, I guess I was going to ask as well then. So in in terms of our playing style we, we've obviously I think as fans and and everyone that watches Saints become quite um, accustomed now. I guess it's the nicest way of putting it to watch our sort of counter-attacking style. It's obviously worked away from home. I tweeted yesterday pretty much since Koeman's left. I mean, our away record since Ronald Koeman left the club has been perfectly fine. I mean, absolutely no problems in terms of Claude Puel did a good job last year. We've played two away games this season. We've not conceded a goal. We've got four out of six points. I guess the the hinder with the counter-attacking style has been at home where teams park the bus and we're trying to counter-attack against the team that are sitting on the edge of the area, maybe like Watford did. Therefore, that sort of style against Manchester United, who will come and take the game to us, might that actually help us? Or do you still think it's going to be this hindrance because it doesn't really create as much and we don't score goals? It was my view last year that I thought actually they, they would it would help Saints to play that, that counter-attacking style that Claude Puel had against the bigger teams. But then Saints actually played very, very well against a lot of the bigger teams, especially away from home. I mean, they gave, they put in some really good performances, but they didn't really get anything, did they, last year against any of them? So I guess you could say it didn't, it didn't really work. There were some great performances against bigger teams, but not results. And it would be good if Saints could get a result against one or two of the big teams this year. That would be really nice, wouldn't it? That would be so much so much better. It feels, always feels good when you get one or two of those in a season. Man United, I don't think they're going to come and completely part the bus. But I think they're. Uh, I think Mourinho's been around long enough and he's cagey enough that he, I'm not sure that they're going to go out completely on the front foot against Saints. I think maybe that they will perhaps attempt to draw Saints out a little bit if they can. I think that sort of style is really going to 
could potentially work against a, a Man City or somebody like that because they they are just they've got one way of going and that's going at you really. Man United, I think they've got other ways of playing, so I'll be interested to see exactly what they do. But my sense is that sort of a counter-attacking style, actually, against the bigger team, in theory, if you play it well, it should work. Uh, especially, I think, for Saints, they'll probably be quite wary of Lukaku next week, I, I would I would think. And you obviously don't want to offer Lukaku a lot of space in behind. Uh, you want him in front of you at all times, if possible. And that generally means probably playing a little bit deeper as a defence. So maybe Saints will attempt that that sort of counter-attacking style. That uh, will be interesting, therefore, to see what they do up front, whether they go back to Gabby Adini or they go with Long, because obviously Long's a little bit quicker. So it kind of gives you that a little bit more pace in behind, perhaps. So, yeah, I, I, I just think it's going to be a really interesting game. There's a lot of potential variables there and you, you've got to make United clear favourites I mean that would be unfair to say otherwise but I think Saints have definitely got a puncher's chance uh, I, I wouldn't be absolutely stunned if they got something Is there anything you changed from yesterday specifically I mean obviously I didn't I didn't want to turn this into the Virgil van Dijk podcast again but he obviously made his return how would you sort of set it up if you were Pellegrino? Well on van Dijk you've got a situation he's going to come back in at some point the only question for Pellegrino is when he does it. So does he do it this week? If he thinks he's fit, he is the best defender they've got. And Lukaku is probably the best striker in the Premier League, or if not one of two or three contenders for that role. So you would feel it would make complete sense to bring him back in this week. But you've got to be sure he's fit. If you're not 100% sure, then you've got to keep him out. Because also Lukaku could destroy somebody who's not 100% fit, even if it's... Van Dijk, who is we and we all know how good he is. I think the more interesting aspect, because ultimately Pellegrino is just going to make a call at some point on a Thursday afternoon after he's seen Van Dijk train for a whole week, either this week or the week after probably. But now's the time. He looks sharp. He's ready. That's just going to happen. So there's no. I don't. I don't really see the point in trying to second guess whether he'll do it or not. But the, the interesting thing is, obviously, what is the first-choice pairing going to be when Van Dijk comes back? Who We obviously had this like rotation of centre-halves the last couple of weeks. Who will it be alongside Van Dijk? I mean, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I really, really don't know. So um, I think that, to me, that is the slightly more interesting aspect of, of the Van Dijk return, rather than actually when it happens. It's, it will be sort of how it happens in terms of, who Pellegrino thinks his first choice is it's going odd, to be. It's odd, isn't it? Because I, I thought bringing Yoshida back yesterday for Stevens was the right move against Benteke. I thought Yoshida was brilliant. Yeah, we spoke about that earlier. I, I guess you could look at the options about playing Van Dijk in the middle, Yoshida right centre-back, Hoyt left centre-back. I think the facts are he is going to stick to the the four two three one going forward, so that that's not going to happen. But as you say, I mean, all, you know, Jack Stevens, he, he had a good preseason. He's maybe been a little bit shaky in terms of uh, consistency over the first five six games. But between the four of them, there's there's four pretty decent centre backs there. So I guess it's a nice position to be in now, isn't it? Yeah, uh, they've got a very strong uh, centre back department, and and let's not forget they've also brought in Jan Bednarek. Yes, again, uh, another one-for-the-future type, but again, another guy who he needs to play some games at some point, really. How's he going to get past those four? Well, it's, it's not going to happen, is it, really? And with, and with no cup games either, League Cup games to play, uh, I don't really know what happens to him. And let's not forget Florian Gardos is, uh, is still around as oh, well. Oh, yes, I mean, well, that's, that's, that's reassuring to know. So, yeah, that's a good, good yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Sixth-choice six centre-half. No club needs a sixth-choice centre-half, do they? Wow. So, um 
I think yeah, yeah I, th- uh, I think you might get a call up before he does at the rate. There's a bit, but there we go. But uh, no, and I think for me, probably stick with Shane Long up front. I I know United are not conceding many goals, but he, he does. He just gives them something a bit different than maybe Gabbiadini will be. I'm not saying Gabbiadini's predictable, but you kind of know what Gabbiadini's strengths are. Whereas Shane Long will turn whoever it is, Phil Jones, Chris Smalling, whatever, turn them around and get them running towards their own goal. And as we've discussed many times before, cent- central defenders hate that. Yeah, and if you are going to play a bit deeper as well against United to try and not allow Lukaku the space in behind, then you're probably going to want a bit of a, an outball. And with Long, what you know you can do is that you can just hit a diagonal ball into the channels or pop a ball up the line into the into the channels, into the space in behind, and he will very effectively chase it down and buy you some, some relief, if you like, from, from the pressure if you think you're going to come under pressure playing in that style. And that is, that's a pretty valuable thing to have as well. So I think he adds that in a way that Gabby Adini, not that Gabby Adini doesn't run the channels, but not quite as effectively for, for my money anyway, as Shane Long does. Uh, he's very good at that. So yeah, I, I would, I don't really like the sort of changing a winning team that much personally. So I would stick with it. And I think the only question mark is, Van Dijk's the best player. He's got to come back at some point. Is he ready for this weekend or not? If I was manager, well, things probably wouldn't go as well. But that would that would probably be the only thing on my mind. I would probably stick with 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 the rest of them, to be honest. Um, they deserve it after a good good uh, win at Palace. I, I agree with you. It's it's catch twenty two, isn't it? Thinking about it for Pellegrino, because if he brings Van Dijk in and he looks rusty and they let goals in, then he's going to get stated for it. But likewise, if he doesn't play him and then Yoshida and Hoyt get a really tough... I mean, Lukaku's bullied us many times before. You lose the game 4-0. Why is Van Dijk on the bench, etc., etc.? So, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interest. I'm sure Pellegrino is going to scratch his head a few times this week to decide what he's going to do with, with that uh, position. But in terms of prediction then, Adam, come on, now you're back full of positivity. So what, what's your, your prediction for next weekend? I think I've been, I've been pretty positive in my predictions. I have to be honest and say I think United will will win because I said I think they'll win most games. So, but I don't think this. I think it could be a, a fairly nip and tuck game. So I'm gonna. I'd probably give United just about the edge. Probably two one. I think to United. I've gone for two nil, and that's twofold. One because I agree with you. I think United are a very good side, and I think they will cause us problems. The second reason is that I predicted us to lose two nil at Crystal Palace yesterday. That obviously went really well. So I might just predict us to lose every game now till the end of the season two nil. I think so. Uh, so yeah. So no, I, th- I think it will be a tough game. But I totally agree with what you said earlier. I think that that win yesterday has uh, given us a chance to hopefully let the shackles off a little bit and have a go at United. And if we can get something out of the game, great. But it's not something you would necessarily expect to get anything from. So let's hope they just put in a committed performance and come away with something and uh, I guess we'll see what happens Thanks for listening to episode 6 of the Total Saints podcast hope you've enjoyed the episode it's good to have Adam back with us and I think um, hopefully now as ever Adam appreciate your, your time on the, the podcast so thanks for that and look forward to, to speaking to you next week yeah, likewise, likewise. Hopefully we have some more positivity next week again. It was uh, nice to talk about a win uh, rather than be bemoaning a lack of exactly, goals. Exactly, no. Continue to be grateful for all of the listens that uh, we're getting right around the world looking at the statistics. So it's been fabulous, really appreciated. Obviously, feedback, comments, questions, ideas, etc. We're always welcome and uh, much appreciated. So please keep them coming. In the meantime, obviously wish everyone a, a good week. Um, speak to you next time out and keep marching in. 
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.